Tonight, Monday, August the 13th, 1979, the renewed mind, the key to power. As I say, shared with you last night, Jesus Christ was God's plan for bridging the gap, the chasm between the natural man of body and soul and God who is what class? Spirit. Tonight, the renewed mind and the word. Before I get into the teaching of this, I would like for you to listen to the record of a man who had the renewed mind and a man who had the great mystery of the word to reveal, revealed to him, ladies and gentlemen, the Apostle Paul by Ellen Fowler. Ellen? You arrived in the morning. You stood up and waved as soon as you saw us waiting for you by the front door. We ran down to meet you. I beat everyone. Oh, how I had missed you. Timothy, you said, clasping my hands in yours. Your eyes gathered me up like a little child, holding me and warming me. A split second, and the others surrounded us. You looked around, beaming. It was a rough crossing, but friends, it's great to be back in Ephesus. After breakfast, you and I went to work. I asked if you'd like to sleep at all, but you shook your head, smiling. If I slept, I wouldn't be with you, son. Besides, we've got enough to do to keep us busy, don't we? <laughs> so we sat for hours, reviewing finances and planning for special events in the area, and of course, discussing leadership. Occasionally, your face would grow sad and tired, and at a certain name, you'd say no more than, he's gone, or, I don't know, Timothy. How I wished I could beat every one of their heads in. Those men had known you, seen you, walked with you. Then you'd shake your head and smile and say, I'm glad we're still here, aren't you? And God is here, too. You must never forget that, Timothy. Later on, we went for a walk. You had worn me out, as usual. But you were so full of life and energy that I could only laugh and follow you, breathless. We came upon a, cas a waterfall cascading into a clear pond, and your face lit up like a little child's. Let's swim, Timothy. And you peeled off your clothes. As you stood poised to dive, I saw your back. There were the big red welts still puffed up as though you had received them that week. There were the older scars, white now and smooth, and the pockmarks where the whips had sunk in and pulled the flesh away. Every time I saw that back, I saw you, hands tied over your head, reeling under the blows as the lashes screamed through the air and curled around your body. Tears blurred my eyes, tears for you and for the agony that you had undergone. Tears, too, for myself, because I feared that I would one day face the same lashes and that I would break rather than stand. You dove, cutting a graceful arc straight up 
and then down through the clear water. Laughing, you called, Come on, Timothy, at the rate you're going, the Lord may return before you hit the water. But I waited a moment more to watch you swim. The sun glinted off your back, and your muscles rippled as you pulled yourself straight and strong through the water. Suddenly, your scars had disappeared. All that I could see was the beauty and power of a man making full use of the body God had given him. There was life there, vigor and joy and strength. And the water and sun covered the ugly wounds and made your back sparkle with light. So I thought with our lives. When we stand upon God's word, the world will be against us. We will be mocked, persecuted, betrayed. At times, our own minds will reel with condemnation, mental pressure, strife, discouragement. If we stop, dismayed, the ugly wounds will rise up and start to throb. But if we push to live, to love, to run the race that God has called us to, then God's grace, like the sunlight glinting off the water, will cover the wounds and stop the pain and make our lives sparkle with light. I realized that the man I had pictured reeling under the blows of the Roman lashes was a man with the Spirit of God in him, the power that had created the heavens and the earth. Your life would change history because you had chosen to stand on God's word against all odds. God is always there, too. You must never forget that, Timothy. That's what you had told me, and I knew that I never would forget. Whether I was beaten or chained or thrown in prison, I would stand with you and stand like you until I died. With a shout of triumph, I dove in after you, and we swam together to the opposite shore. Thank you. <laughs> Love you. Thank you very much. I believe it was John Oxenham, wasn't it, who wrote, To every man there openeth a way, and ways, and a way. And the high soul climbs the highway, and the low soul gropes the low. And in between, on the misty flats, the rest drift to and fro. But to every man there openeth a highway and a low. And every man decideth which way his soul shall go. That's why tonight, the renewed mind, the word. Central at all twig fellowships must be the greatness of the reality of God's word. Any twig fellowship without the centrality of the word is just so much waste of time. And that's one of the reasons our twigs are so well attended. That's one of the reasons people get so blessed. Because the word is there and it's the word of God. The accuracy of that word that sets men and women free when they will to believe it. That's why central at every twig, and today is twig day, where we've been discussing twigs. I understand I have a night owls tonight with the twig leaders. You know, any time it goes after 12 o'clock at night in the way ministry, it gets to be hoot owls. <laughs> night owls before that. 
that the night owls in the way ministry began many years ago at camp because of the centrality of the word in our ministry and people later on just wanted to sit around and visit and talk about it. And I remember very vividly in my mind how after some of these great evenings years and years ago, we'd simply leave the BRC and about a half hour later or so, Mrs. Wherewell and I'd go out east of our house on this side of the Jordan. And we'd just go out there and take a chair and just sit down because we just wanted to cool off and just be there. Well, then it happened two, three people come around. Then they started bringing their blankets. Then we started talking about the word and the things of God. And that was the launching of what later on people called night owls. And after it went beyond midnight, it got called what I told you, the hoot owls. Because of the centrality of the word, that's what's moved this ministry. And all of this ministry and our outreach today is because of the centrality of this word and the great love of God we have for God and his son, Jesus Christ, and the integrity and accuracy of the word. And so this word of God stands at the top of every twig. You may have fellowship afterwards. You may have coffee and tea, if you like, or cookies. But there's one thing you have to have at every twig meeting, and that's the positive greatness of the integrity and accuracy of the word taught with thanksgiving, with love, and with enthusiastic believing. For most people, there is nothing authoritative in this life. In all theological circles, they have come to the position that there is no one thing authoritative. Everything in the theological world is relative. We do not believe that. In the way of ministry, we believe that there is a centrality of authority, and that is the Word of God. It's like I told you last night. If you play football, you play by what? Just by sheer logic, people. There has to be something authoritatively authoritative if there is a God. If there is a God. If there is His Son, Jesus Christ. There has to be something somewhere that is authoritative, that has the authority of God. And ladies and gentlemen, it's got to be his word. This word has withstood through the centuries all the critics, everything they could heap on them, all the work of all the liberal theologians for years and years and years. And the Word is still living and vital today. Nobody has ever broken the Word. They have only broken themselves upon it. It is the Word, Hebrews says, that's the critic of a man. Man is not the critic of the Word. That's right. And in the way ministry, we believe in the integrity and accuracy of the Word. This word is the authority for our lives and our living. We come to the word. The reason most men, so-called, quote, Christian, end of quote, 
lack so much power of the greatness of God is because they don't come to the Word. The senses man, the man of the five senses, he gathers his information by a seeing, hearing, smelling, tasting, or touching. He reads everything else but the Word. They read around the Word. They read prepared sermons, outline, all around the Word, just not the Word. And so, what do you feed to the mind? That's what you're going to carry out. Class, you cannot believe beyond what you're taught. It's a law. The reason you believe tonight what you believe is because of what you've been taught. This is true of all men everywhere. They never can believe more than what they're taught. And we believe what we believe because of our exposure in the senses world where we have brought to our mind by a seeing, hearing, smelling, tasting, and touching that information upon which we have made the decision to believe what we believe. A man may believe less than he's taught. I could believe less than I'm taught but I could never believe more than I'm what? That's right. In our culture, in our day and time, for the most part, class, man's word, man's word, that which he has worked out, his ideologies, his philosophies, his religious tenets, man's word has taken preeminence over the word of God. The Word of God is relished to this position and man's Word is brought to this position. Man's Word has taken preeminence over the Word of God. And that is why most men are living today in the deserts of the soul. In what I once referred to as the dark night of the soul. And they're living in the stagnant pools of darkness. Christianity is alive. It's vital. Christianity was supposed to be what the Word, and is what the Word says. There's a fantastic difference between religion and Christianity. From the accuracy of God's word, I know that Christianity is not a religion. Religion is man-made. We have what the world calls 12 major religions, and they list among one of those Christianity. Well, man did that listing. God didn't. See? That's right. You see, Buddhism, Shintoism, Taoism, Mohammedanism... All of those others are religions. Why? Because religion is what man does. What man does. Christianity is what God wrought in Christ Jesus. I'm getting too hot up here. These boys, they were going to do me a favor. They plugged off the air conditioning here. 
because they said if I walked over here, my tail would blow up on the my coat. And they wanted me to look real nice up here, so they clamped it off. I wish to God they left the air conditioning. <laughs> We're talking about religion, weren't we? Christianity. Christianity class is what God wrought in Jesus Christ. Has nothing to do with any of us, any of our men. That's why it's not religion. Christianity is what God wrought in Jesus Christ. That's Christianity, what he did. Now today we have a lot of religion in so-called Christianity at times, but that's not God's fault, class. That's why Christianity is not a religion. It is the truth. Jesus Christ is the way, the what? And he is the what? And the word of God says in Acts, no man, I think it's in Acts, cometh unto the Father but by him. Class, man's word has taken preeminence over God's word. And God's word has been relished and brought down to a position where most people just laugh at it. They say it's an old fogey book. You know. And about the, the only time you ever look at it is under severe pressure. And then you look for that little card you got once upon a time that says, in case of sorrow, read so-and-so. <laughs> That's what the Bible means to most people. No wonder we're living in the dark night of the soul. But why do we believe that? Why were we taught that? Because that's what the people were taught. That's what they believed. And you can't believe beyond what you've been taught. And you can't teach more than what you know. It's a law. You can teach less than you know, but you cannot teach more, class. And it is only by God's multiple grace upon grace that I stand here at this teaching platform tonight declaring to you that the Word of God is the will of God, that it means what it says, and that God says what he means and has a purpose for everything he says, where he says it, why he says it, how he says it, to whom he says it, when he says it. Because, ladies and gentlemen, there was a time I did not believe the words holy or Bible on the outside cover. And I was born and raised in a great Christian family right here on this location. Great father and mother. Well, what brought me to the time that I disbelieved the Bible? My teachers... That's how you get there. Can't go beyond your what? That's right. And so through the years, as I was attending theological seminaries, I got talked out of the Word. At the University of Chicago Divinity School, they just hashed the Word of God to pieces. Had nothing left. They talked about interpolations. They talked about myths. They talked about the five arguments for the existence of God, you know, the teleological, the cosmological, all of that stuff. And so I came to the place 
that I had severe doubt about the integrity and accuracy of God's word. And then finally, after I graduated from Princeton with my master's degree, and it's sort of neat, uh, do you know that I had my master's in theology before I had my Bachelor of Divinity? <laughs> How could you pull that one off? Well, we did. But I had finished all my work for my bachelor's and I'd gone on and finished my master's and it just happened that at Princeton we graduated a week earlier with my master's before I went back to Lakeland Seminary up there to get that diploma they handed out. Well, Mrs. Wherewell and I went in the ministry. And you know what I discovered the first year in the ministry? That I didn't have it. I had an intellectualism. I could quote you, still can, a lot of Plato, Aristotle, Socrates, Schopenhauer, Freud, Shakespeare, all that stuff. I had all those beautiful illustrations and quotes. I could quote you what one theologian said or another, but you know something? I couldn't quote you the word. I couldn't quote you the word. I didn't know the word. And so Mrs. Wirwell and I went into the ministry qualified as the world called it with all those standards that the world had set. And the first year in our ministry, we were sorrowfully defeated because we had no answers. When people needed prayer, all I could do is say the vernacular stuff. And I knew in my heart that my prayers never went any higher than the ceiling. Right. And finally, we got to the place that first year that it was almost unbelievable where a man could get to so quickly. I think that the, the thing that brought it to a head was a man in the, in those days, they called them the poorhouse. Uh, a county home is what they called them. If a man didn't have any money, to maintain himself, then they put them in the county home. Well, that was at least a little better than the federal government taking care of you. And those county homes, in many respects, were a real blessing because then the local county takes care of its people that, has li that have lived there. But this man was a wonderful man. He had worked so hard to put his son through medical school that it, it, he just paid everything for him and he worked and he worked and he worked and his son was a fine doctor but he allowed his dad to go to the poorhouse he was making plenty of money he could have kept his dad out of the poorhouse but he didn't do it and that hurt my heart and these were people that have been confirmed and dedicated to God. And I thought in my mind, what in the world's going on? The Bible says that you're supposed to take care of your daddy and mommy if they're believers. If they're not, it's an entirely different story. We are to obey our parents. The word of God says in the womb and the word of God's the will of God. The parents ought to be in the word. They ought to have God in Christ in them and live the word. So the children could be brought up in the nurture and admonition. His son did not do anything for him. 
And I used to visit him in that home, and my heart broke. And one day I accosted the son after I met him. I said, why don't you do something for dad? And he says, well, hell, he's old, let him die. And I walked away and I cried. To this day, I've never spoken to that man. And if he walked here in front of the platform, unless his heart had changed, I wouldn't speak to him. He wouldn't even be worth my casting my eyeballs on him. That's right. I used to take his father chewing tobacco. <laughs> red man. That's right. He liked red man chewing tobacco, so he, his son wouldn't even buy him a pack of chewing tobacco. Boy, oh boy. And that got to my heart. That was the thing that I think really broke, broke the straw that broke the somebody's back, mine, or something. And so I had to have answers, people, and that's why today we've spent almost 40 years working the Word. And whenever I teach, wherever I teach, you don't hear me quoting very many times. You don't even hear me quote John Oxenham or someone else. It's always the Word, the Word. Why? Because, man, this is the thing that changed my life, changed my ministry. And I'm absolutely convinced tonight there is no man or woman in the world that I cannot help if they'll believe God's Word, accept it, and by the freedom of their will, desire to change. I do not believe that God's Word ever fails, people. God. You see... Men come and go, but the Word of God liveth and abideth forever. I'm getting older every day. One of these days, if the Lord carries my life, we'll be over with too. Not stupid, I know. People, but it's that Word that'll live on. The critics are gone, but the Word's still living. If there's a poem... I can't recite it, I don't know it, but it's in volume one or two of our poems about the hammer and the anvil. And it tells about how the hammers are gone, but the anvil of God's Word is still there. You can't take a crack at God's Word and get away with it because God is the prime mover. It is His Word. He gave it. When holy men of God spake as they were moved by what? And ladies and gentlemen, it's God's Word. It's God's Word. This is not B.P. Weirwill or Johnny Jump Up or Henry Bloke or Snowball Pete's Word. This is the Word of God. And that Word of God liveth and abideth forever. <laughs> you know, the, most of the men that you meet are duped into believing that they think that they think. <laughs> and then they finally acquiesce, thinking they're holding their own. And then they inflate their own ego, and then they begin to vaunt their own greatness, when in actuality and reality... Those men generally have grown into manhood with scarcely a conviction that they can call their own. 
They have simply imbibed what others have said without testing it against the accuracy of God's word. Tradition has made the word of God of non-effect in our culture. There's a fantastic record in Matthew 15. Read it. Verse 1. Matthew 15, verse 1. Then came to Jesus, what? Scribes and Pharisees. This is the top religious brass people. These are the VIPs of Judaism. The scribes and the Pharisees, which were of Jerusalem, saying, Why do thy disciples transgress the tradition of what? The elders. This was their accusation against the Lord Jesus Christ. Why do your disciples transgress tradition, tradition of the elders? For they wash not their hands when they eat bread. Well, now, isn't that awful? <laughs> but tradition can become so traditionalized that you think you're so right when you're so dead wrong. Then tradition takes the preeminence over truth. You see, in historical Christianity, as the theologians or the theological world refers to it, there are different centralities of truth. For instance, in the Roman Catholic Church, the top is the Pope. When he speaks extra cathedra, he is speaking as the vicar of Christ upon earth for God. And his word is up here. Secondly, in the Roman Catholic Church, the greatest integrity of the church is given to tradition. Thirdly, the Bible. That is the polity of the church. And if you do not believe that, you read your own polity. A man by the name of Martin Luther dared to come along. I don't know how many of you have seen that great film of Martin Luther that I showed to the advanced class at times, but we have it. I wish we could all see it at the Rock of Ages. Because there are many things in it that speak loudly in our day and time. But Martin Luther said the centrality of Christianity has to be the Word. And he started bringing people to the Word. The so-called Christianity of that time, the accepted group, wouldn't believe it. So they referred to Martin Luther as a cult. And they did their best to execute the believers, to get rid of them. They persecuted them, they burned them at the stake, they did anything. But when a man comes to the Word and comes to that position, that Word will live one way or the other as long as there's one man who believes it. And so we saw the beginning of what is referred to as the Reformation where the centrality of the word was brought back. And then later on, persecution started from the Protestant side. 
little groups sprung up, and in Europe, they called them Anabaptists. The, the word Anna is a Greek word, means against. So they called them Anabaptists. Why? Because they were against infant baptism, which was accepted by the Roman church, Catholic church, as well as the Lutheran. These people brought this up. And then the Lutherans started persecuting the Anabaptists. The Roman Catholics persecuted the Lutherans. Everybody always wants to persecute someone for some reason. It's usually religious, never Christian. That's right. I thought of that, and I've thought of a lot of things in my life in the last few years. How a man could come to the Word and with all his life, Almost 40 years of my life, I've tried to do nothing but help people with a better understanding and working the word and having a more abundant life, how I could run into so much trouble and cause so much trouble and suffer so much persecution and slander. It's almost unbelievable. Just recently, you know, in one of the states, a big Lutheran minister took one of our kids and he was the head deprogrammer to get him deprogrammed. God, he ought to remember his own history. If he doesn't want to believe the word, he ought to remember history. The Lutherans didn't like it in Germany when they were persecuted by the Roman Catholics. You see, persecution is such a waste of the Lord's time. The devil loves it. You see, people, you have to allow people to make a choice, the freedom of will to make a choice. If a man wants to go to hell, he has the right to go, class. Dang it, he sure does. That's right. You can't, you are free to choose to reject God, tell God to go to hell, Jesus Christ to go some other place, and that this book is a bunch of crap. You have a freedom of will to say it, right? I think you're stupid, but you still have the freedom to. Right. This is why in our ministry where I teach the freedom of will, the greatest thing you have is the right to choose, the privilege of choosing. That's the freedom of your will. And my enemies say just the opposite. I teach more freedom of will than I ever heard in any theological cemetery that I spent seven years in. Right. So a man has the right to make a decision whether he wants to go to heaven or hell. He has the right. Under the laws of our Constitution and by the free will that God gives to a man. That's why, class, this verse here, or these verses here in Matthew, really ring like clarion bells in our ears. Simple. They don't wash their hands when they eat bread. Good Lord. It's not what's on the outside that makes a man a man or a woman or a woman. But baby, what's happened inside of you? Are you rotten inside or are you beautiful inside? It's not the outside. It's the inside. Not what goeth into a man, the Bible says, but what comes out of the dude, out of man. That's right. So really, it's something. 
Now, if you're rotten inside, you know what you're coming out with. Rotten outside. You'll have what I call spiritual halitosis. <clears throat> you're always in in what you're giving out. And what you have within is what you're always giving out. And you always get back what you're giving out in the long run. It's a law. You give out hell, what do you get back? It's a law. You yell at people, yell at them, what happens? You tell them to go climb, and what do they say? You go climb. Always get back. You give out love, you get love back. The best way to get people to love is for you to love. For you to give your life so they can reciprocate by giving theirs. It's really wonderful. So you're always in in what you're giving out. If you want love to come back to you, give love. If you want a friend, be what? A friend. There it is. If you're a twig leader, man, you give out that love of God. You just pour your heart and life out for your people, holding forth the greatness of that word. Jesus, verse 5, answered and said unto them, Why do you also transgress the commandment of what? By your what? There it is. Do you think the commandment of God is greater than tradition? That's what Jesus said. He said, you are transgressing the commandment of God because of your tradition. And in verse 6, the latter part, he says, Thus have ye made the commandment of God of non-effect by your tradition. Right? Is that what it says? That's what it means. Were these scribes and Pharisees sincere class? Oh, I want to tell you they were sincere. Sincere to the end that they would kill, persecute, destroy anybody who didn't have this kind of stuff. They were really active. But class sincerity is no guarantee for truth. The devil is as sincere as you are. The people who have cheated me the most in life have been the most sincere. The fellows that will sell you land that's underwater to build your house on have to be sincere. <laughs> or the fellow that sells you the toothbrush with one bristle to brush your teeth with if you got a mouthful. He's got to be sincere. And I've seen in Christian circles, again, the word in quotes, whenever people carry that great sincerity, I sort of walk back because I don't want that odor to hit me. <laughs> I had one of those gals come up to me one night. I don't think she'd committed a sin in 20 years. <laughs> she was so righteous. It was just unbelievable. And finally, I just got spiritually teed off and I looked her straight in the eyeball and I said, Honey, if I was as righteous as you, I'd take a night out. <laughs> Woo, boy. All hell broke loose. She said, Oh, you're not a Christian. 
Well, I don't know how good a one she was, but I sure in hell couldn't have lived with her. <laughs> hey, if there's any righteousness you got, it's not of your own, the Bible says. God gave it to you. So, baby, get off each other's back. If you are have any righteousness at all, it isn't because you're so terrific. It's because God's so terrific in Christ Jesus. And don't you forget it. Right. You make the commandment of God a non-effect by your tradition, and they're doing the same thing in 1979. Today, they're doing the same thing. Their tradition has taken precedence over the revealed word. God, in some places, if you don't have the altar just properly set with the flowers, they fight over it. They take the offering at the right time. has to be taken in the right way. You have to wear the right clothes. One church I was in, they wore tails. They wore carnations. And all the gentlemen marched like this. But when it got to God's word, dearly beloved brethren. No power, no power. You know why? Because the word didn't live in him. When the word doesn't live in you, you won't speak to it. When the word isn't in you, you can't give it out, right? That's why we got to have a little black book and write it all out. Because it's not in us. We got to read somebody else's and write it. Ladies and gentlemen, how would you like to have an emergency operation tonight? At the hospital down here in St. Mary's, Ohio. And you walk in to that emergency room and they make the fantastic decision. If you don't get operated on pronto right away, booms quick, it is too late tomorrow. So they rush you up into surgery. And the wonderful surgeon comes up with his medical textbooks. Yeah. That's a beautiful, beautiful illustration. He brings his textbook and he says, hmm, blood counts so much. See, here it is. Uh, 15,000. Here's what I got to do now. Okay. And he keeps looking. Uh, the anesthetist has to do so and so. Now they get the operation. Ha! He asks for Let's see, what do I need now? A scalpel. <laughs> Cut number one here. <laughs> John chapter three. Uh, <laughs> Cut number two there. Uh, suture. Cotton. And he's reading a book on obstetrics. <laughs> you see, it's so silly, isn't it? If you have to have an emergency operation, you want a surgeon there who knows what he's doing. He's done his homework before. Ladies and gentlemen, we're to be men of God. When you have, when you have a man walking up in a pulpit or at a teaching platform, he better know what he's doing. It's too late in the ball game 
to start studying then. He better know his product. Try. It's God's word. And we're to be masters of the word. Master the word. The Bible says, let the word of God dwell in you. How? Richly. Not drippily, but richly. That's right. The word of God. And most Christians don't even know Genesis is in the New Testament. And don't ever embarrass the elders by having them to give you the books of the Bible. I tried that. You know, when I first got in the church, I had such a high opinion. I thought, well, every elder knows the Bible, so forth. I used to ask one of them to pray, and he says, don't ask me to pray. I never pray. So I thought, good Lord. See, I just didn't understand this. I Maybe I'm so naive and so innocent. But in the last few years, I've grown up a little bit. Why? Because tradition has just killed so much of the greatness of the power of God in our day and time. Ladies and gentlemen, let's bring people off of tradition back to the Word of God. And And in verse 7, Jesus said, you hypocrites. That's what he called them. And he had no love, you know. Wait a minute. He was all what? Yet he looked him straight in the eyeball, and these were the religious leaders. And he said, you hypocrite. Well did Isaiah prophesy of you, saying, the people draw nigh unto me with their mouth. They honor me with their lips. They go through all the fanfare, all the right protocol, all the shenanigans, but what about their heart? It's far from me. To the census world, they looked religious, and they were. But to God, he said, you're stinking on the inside. You're like dead men. And that's why that next verse, 9, just rocks and reels a man's soul who has ears to hear. In vain, in vain, they do what? Worship me. Do they worship? Definitely. But it's just a waste of time. In vain do they worship me. Teaching for doctrines for right believing the commandments of what? That's right. Class, the more important the subject, the more serious the consequences of error. And the more adamant the traditionalists become because they call it, quote, unsettling men's minds, end of quote. And they say, oh, for God's sake, don't rock the boat. Ladies and gentlemen, truth cannot be held on any other basis 
than the knight's fee of holding its own against all comers. The way ministry works in research, we research the Word, not tradition, the Word. To let this Word speak for itself, we work the Word and allow the Word to maintain its inherent and its inerrant accuracy. And that we do from its internal evidence. We let the Word speak to us. The Word always speaks more loudly, people, than any man can ever speak in its behalf. Fear, you know, is real devilish. Lesson one, power for abundant living. Today, so many people are afraid of being afraid. So they are afraid. The unknown always seems to hold a fear for most people because man basically, body and soul man, always had his tendency to think the worst. But our teaching of the way ministry has started to cause at least some people to think God's best, not the worst. You know, class, it's just as easy to think good of people as it is to think evil of people. They describe the pessimist and the optimist in these terms. I've heard this anyway. The pessimist says the glass is half empty. The optimist says it's half full. I don't know. But ladies and gentlemen, it's just as easy to learn to think good of people as it is evil. But the culture, the body and soul man has caused us always to look for the bad and to think badly of people. It's really something. How evil people think, how badly they think. You get a telephone call, 2.30 in the morning. Your son is out late. 2.30. And lo and behold, the first thing that hits your mind is, God, has one of my sons been in an accident? You could just as easily think, well, my God, maybe my son is helping someone to get home or something. You could think positively. You know, some of you people know this real well. If you've stolen anything, the first time you hear the police siren, who are they coming for? <laughs> well, you shouldn't have stolen in the first place. <laughs> Class is just as easy to think good of people. Just as easy. But when you've been trained, you can't go beyond your training, beyond what you're taught, and we have been taught to be so negative, think so much evil. I was tremendously blessed when I learned many, many years ago 
that the people of India do not have the word no in their vocabulary. It is not in their language. Whenever the Indian people mean no, they say yes. And some of my young boys used to say they wish that was true in our country. In Philippians, I like you. Isn't it too bad you have to put up with my terrible sense of humor? <laughs> I think you guys are the best. Anybody can stand me this long at night for one hour has to be real good. I think God ought to give you a very special place. And give you an extra crown or a jewel in it or something. Would you like to look at Philippians 4? It says in verse 7, The peace of God which passes all understanding shall, absolute tense, and this is true in every text, it's in the absolute tense, not the maybe will tense, but absolutely shall keep your hearts and minds through whom? And the Greek word there must be dia, I haven't looked it up, but which means by way of Christ Jesus, what he did. And then he ends with this verse 8, finally, finally, brethren, not a bunch of unbelievers, but brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue, if there be any praise, think on what? How many times do men think on these things? That which is honest in life, that which is true about a man or a woman, that which is pure, that which is lovely. We usually think just the opposite. The Word of God says we have to think this way. And this is what we believe in the way ministry. And that is why when it comes to the renewed mind, you've got to come back to the Word. You renew your mind on anything else but the Word and you'll just be in the same confusion you've been in previously. You move from one religious group to another, you'll just be running from pillar to post. You'll be in the same confusion the only way out of any confusion class is to come back to the Word. That's why on this wonderful night of this Rock of Ages, again, the greatness that I see in all of this renewed mind is the centrality of the Word of God. You have to come back to something if you're going to play in God's ball game. And for us in the way ministry, we... Stand with the Word. That's what we believe. Thank you. Good. Thank you. Press down. Come on out here. Strap in. Good. I like to say that you seek true knowledge 
apart from God and the greatness of his word class, that's just sheer ignorance. There is no knowledge, no greatness of wisdom apart from the integrity and accuracy of his word. And that is why it's the renewed mind and the word. And I'm blessed to have great people like you here at the Rock and thousands of others around the world who have come and are coming back to taking a look at the integrity and accuracy of this word. And many of them are believing it and walking in the power of it. So I thank God for you and for your place in the wonderful body of Christ. Take it away, boys. Standing so tall 